Hi, Rob Orman here, and you are listening to Stimulus. We've got a little bit of a different format today rather than an interview. It's a monologue. Just me. And the topic today is Bob Ross and why if you work in trauma care, I think Bob Ross should be your spirit animal in the trauma bay. Now for the uninitiated, Bob Ross was the host of The Joy of Painting, which aired on public broadcasting from 1983 to 1994. And Bob Ross kind of became a caricature of himself with his mellifluous voice and spherical planetoid of bushy hair. Here's a little bit of Bob working through a painting, just so you can get a flavor of what he sounds like. And let's get this mm, fan brush. We'll use a fan brush. Load it full of color, both sides, both sides. Okay, let's go up in here. Now maybe in our world, there lives, does now, some little trees back in here. Now these are a little closer. You're seeing a little more detail, a little more distinct. Now where's all this coming from? Well, I'm going to talk about Bob Ross. Well, the other day, I was having a conversation with my friend, Andrew Petrosoniak, or Petro, as he's called. It'll make it easier for the conversation to just say Petro. A couple things you need to know about Petro. First, he's Canadian. Now, I don't know if that makes Petro nice by default, but he is nice to a fault. Second, Petro is what is known as a trauma team leader. So when the major trauma comes into his hospital and he's on, he runs the show. Now, you might think of a trauma team leader, like somebody like Chuck Norris coming in with their scrubs cut off, looking like a tank top. Well, of course, now in COVID era, everybody's in like full PPE. But before then, Chuck Norris, trauma team leader, rescuing prisoners of war from a 1980s B movie, guns a blazing, getting the job done. And, you know, that, that certainly does happen. <laughs> you know, I think there can be a tendency to go full on trauma warrior. A take-no-prisoners quest to stomp out disease. But there's a time and a place for that, if such a thing is your proclivity. But that time is not always. Now, the conversation I was having with Petro was about identifying spinal fractures in blunt trauma patients, specifically thoracic and lumbar fractures, which are notoriously difficult to identify on physical exam. There are several reasons for this, and one is that there might be a distracting injury. That's taking the patient's focus and attention away from their ability to discern whether or not where you're pushing on their back hurts. Two is that the trauma room environment for the uninitiated, meaning pretty much everyone except the trauma team, so especially the patient, they're uninitiated, that room can be extremely distracting. It is frenetic, stressful in its own right by the nature of the beehive of activity that happens when someone arrives, and it's stressful just because of what's going on with the person themselves. And then what happens when they arrive? They get wheeled in, what goes down? Well, the primary survey, right away. I mean, you know, that doesn't take very long. Stop bleeding, assess and manage the airway, breathing, circulation. Is there massive bleeding that needs to be stopped? Do that. Is their airway compromised? Do they need their lungs vented because of a pneumothorax? Do they need to get blood? Get these things done right away. Or the person might die. That is the time for trauma warrior, not screaming warrior, not tank top scrubs, but getting business done quickly and methodically. Well, frankly, without a lot of niceties. I mean, it's not that you're not nice, but it's just getting down to it, A to B. And for those not in medicine, we call it the primary survey because it's the thing that's done first, primary, and also because it's the most important. It's the life-saving measures. But then after that comes the secondary survey, when you go head to toe to look for injury. Now, sometimes these injuries are obvious, like an open femur fracture. 
but sometimes they're well hidden. Often the way the secondary survey goes is that it quickly follows the primary. I mean, like, like right after. And the patient has no idea what's going on. I mean, like, wait, I'm, I'm hurting. All these people are talking things. I'm getting poked and prodded. You're talking to him, sure, you know, asking him if this hurts or that hurts. Can you move this? Can you move that? But it usually goes down while still in partial trauma warrior mode. You know, like, like a little rushed. The conversation sometimes feels like you're, you're like talking to yourself and the movements, the sequence done so many times can sometimes be more just like going through the motions than paying focused attention to exactly what's happening. And I want to challenge you with this mind shift, with this reframing, your spirit animal in the secondary survey is not Chuck Norris or an ass-kicking Wonder Woman, but Bob Ross. So how does Bob Ross, a painter with a hairstylist dream of a bushy perm, euphonic voice, act as your guide in the recess bay? Bob Ross is not in a hurry. Bob Ross is calm. Bob Ross tells you what he's going to do, and then he talks you right through it as it's happening. The words that come to mind for the Bob Ross School of Trauma Bay Etiquette, especially for the secondary and tertiary surveys, kind, incrementalizes, methodical, doesn't rush, but also doesn't linger, efficiency of movement, continuously communicates, thinks out loud. At the point the primary survey is done, which is, you know, moments after they arrive, take a pause. Does this person need pain control? Not pain control to the point that they're going to be snowed and unable to communicate with you, but, you know, like a little bit more comfortable so you can get an accurate exam. Now, might that pain medicine blunt some of their ability to appreciate areas of tenderness? It might. You know, evidence suggests that it doesn't, but, you know, in my experience and just anecdote here, the effect is much more heavily weighted on the side of them relaxing so they're not distracted by other pain and they can engage with communicating with you and engage with the exam much more effectively. Then explain exactly what's going to happen before you start. Exactly. I'm going to start by examining your head and neck and work my way down to your toes. I'm going to look for injury. I'm going to see if anything hurts. So just follow the sound of my voice and I'm going to walk you through the whole thing. Now they might forget what you tell them, but you're creating the mental set point. Things are now very calm. Now, at this point, unless the person is dying and acute management needs to happen, yours should be the only voice they hear because you want them to focus only on you, what you're doing, what you're asking, what you're pushing on, and you are going through things exactly the way you do it every time. Now, how does Bob Ross play into that? First, Bob Ross was calm. His voice was even. You could even say soothing. Second, Bob Ross painted his paintings the same way every time. Background, sky, a little water in the foreground, then some mountains, a little tree, some variations in the theme, but it was kind of the same thing every time. It looked like it just came out of the blue but it was very methodical. In fact, as he was painting on his TV show, he was looking off camera at a completed version of the painting that he had done previously and using that as his model for what he was demonstrating on air. So what seemed random was actually according to plan. So part of being trauma bay Bob Ross is having the foundational knowledge of what you want to do, knowing your plan, visualizing, studying, and another thing that our trauma bay spirit animal Bob Ross did was that when he would make a mistake, he never said it was a mistake. He'd call them happy accidents. And I know this is going to look like we're destroying everything. Don't worry about it. We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. That's 
it's going to be a little bit different when you're dealing with a human being. You know, when you, when you miss something, when you do have an error, a painting, you can just paint over it or paint something different. With a person, of course, the stakes are much higher. You need to take corrective action, but how do you correct yourself? At that moment, when you're sweating and fretting, you're really wishing things were different. And you're really wishing things were different than they were right now, that they hadn't gone that way. Oh my gosh, do you? But they're not, okay? They're not, this is how it is. And in the moment when you're feeling that apprehension for the error or the miss, try this. First, find your feet. What do I mean by that? Find your feet. Use the sensation of your feet on the ground as an anchor to bring you back to the present moment. When you're feeling anxiety and apprehension, rarely is it because you are sitting in the present moment. You're projecting in the future to the negative things that might happen to this patient and frankly, the negative things that might happen to you, either with a rebuke or people's opinions of you or a review or eminent or whatever, you're thinking in the future, but that spiral is not going to help anybody. So find your feet, find your feet and come back. What do the bottoms of your feet feel like on the ground? Maybe you're sitting in a chair and your feet are light on the bottoms of your shoes, but what do your feet feel like? Find your feet. Then take a deep breath through your nose, feeling your abdomen expand. Hold it for a few seconds and then breathe out slowly, also through your nose. Do that a few times and then this mental exercise. Now, I wish things were different and that hadn't happened, but it did and let's deal with it. It's okay to wish that it hadn't gone that way or you had missed that or, or whatever. I wish things were different. Okay, that's cool. Acknowledge that, validate that. But things happen that way, let's deal with it. My buddy Scott Weingart told me that and I have found that to be such a powerful tool for dealing with things that either acutely or chronically vex me. Oh my gosh, it's like having a magic spell. So let's summarize here. Primary survey is life or death. That is trauma warrior, but still calm, professional, and matter of fact. After that, you are Bob Ross. What does this patient need? How can I make them more comfortable? My voice is calm. My manner is caring and engaging. And while it might seem that whatever I'm doing is coming out of thin air, it's following an exact plan that I have rehearsed repeatedly. You will be calmer. Your team will be calmer. And most importantly, your patient will be calmer, more attentive, and more readily engaged in what you're doing. That is it for today, my friends. Stay safe. Be well.